Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. Today, we're excited to have a colleague of ours on, on, the, on the call, on the Zoom call, uh, Dr. Bill Williams, and he is actually a fellow Atlantan, or I guess, Bill, you're practicing in Sewanee, but we'll, we'll call it the metro, metro Atlanta area, fellow, fellow Atlantan. And um, I've known about Bill for several years. He's got an amazing reputation, amazing practice. You have an amazing, and I know you mentor and coach a lot of, a lot of dentists. And I know you just came out with a book, which I love the title. And I think, like I was saying before we kind of hit record here, is that I think it's been timely. Uh, I think it's a timely title for dentists. And it's called The $10,000 a Day Dentist, The 50 Ways to Create a Successful Practice, a Highly Successful Practice. So it's already on Amazon, but I want to I dive into that. And, but first, I want to welcome you to the, to, the, to the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast, buddy. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Craig, for having me on Bulletproof. This is an honor to be on your program. Thank you. Our it's good to have it's you. Our, our pleasure. Why don't you give? I know a lot of a lot of listeners are probably going to be familiar with your name. Why don't you give just a quick synopsis of kind of your the genesis of of the book and maybe your your career in a nutshell here and how it got you to the point of writing a book. Okay. Well, let's start off with uh, I've been in practice 43 years, but it's not always been in Swanee. I, I did about the first half of my career down in Stone Mountain, mm-hmm. and that practice was doing very good. But the area was changing and there was some crime and things on the neighborhood that decided in my best interest to move. Mm-hmm. And so all my staff, you know, I had a hard time keeping staff mainly was the reason we moved. So I moved to Swanee and started over at age 48. Cool. And we, bu- we built it from scratch to about $5 million in, in about 10 years in one location. And so from that point on, we maintained it for the next, uh, ever since. I mean, we were six something now, but the, the idea is we, we built it and we maintained it. And I started to uh, document some of the processes that I went through to build this thing. And the first book I put out, Marketing the Million Dollar Practice, was really about the process of the marketing behind it. Mm-hmm. And um, then I started teaching in our mastermind about two years ago, and I needed to put together a lecture to actually wow the doctors that came in for the mastermind. You know, I was going to teach them a lot about marketing, a lot about management, but I had to have a lecture that was really uh, on purpose. And so I sat down and wrote, I wrote down the significant things that I did that created success. And one of the things I realized about our success that was a little bit unusual from the average dentist anyway, not you guys, I'm sure, but the average dentist doesn't produce 10 grand a day by their own hands. So, I said, okay, I've been doing that for 15 years. Why are we doing that? How do we do that? And so I wrote down 50 ways or things that I do think or believe in. A lot of it was mindset. A lot of it was intention. A lot of it was structure. A lot of it was strategic, not just technique. Right. And so I I don't teach too much technique anymore. I teach mostly uh, the management principles. And so... $10,000 $10,000 a day just happened to be a lecture that I gave. And out of that lecture, these guys that were in the mastermind started doing immediately within a few weeks, $10,000. And really? some of them were so successful in doing it that they did it every day, a whole month. 
and it was like they were implementing steps that we had talked about in the lecture. And that got my attention when somebody could actually take a concept and implement it in their staff training, in their team training. You know, whenever they were doing their team meetings, they launched into, okay, guys, this is how we can do it. And they believed in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so once they believed in it, they trained the team to believe in it. And so that's how the book became a reality is I, I said, this has got to be put out there to more people because it's just a, a nice way to look at things. The dental practice tips I give are not new. There's not much brand new in there, wow. but it's the organization that's, that's different. And I teach it in a way that's fun. Sorry, but the fact that you laid, you know, like out 50 steps, because, you know, as dentists, I think we love like a cookbook of steps of this and that, you know, just methodology as opposed to like, Hey, just do this. Be like me. Like, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's like a little boy scout manual. There you go. I like it. And, um, the thing about it is I, I break it down into Dr. Alex Middleton, the guide teaching dentist. So he's like their mentor Mm-hmm. And he meets five dentists along the way and he tells them stories okay. and he shows them some tricks of the trade. He, he guides them and he interprets their dreams. Can you, can you imagine a dental book about interpreting of dreams? It sounds pretty well, cool. It sounds a little fictional. I like it. It's got some fun stuff in there. So uh, it's not dry. It's not something you'll pick up at every dental office and say, uh, this is a dental book. It's not a dental book. Hey, Bill, quick question for you. That $5 million practice you did, how many doctors were there? Was that just you solo? Oh, no. We had four doctors. Okay, got it. Yeah, got four it. doctors. And, uh, you know, yeah, I was the lead doctor doing the most, but the associates were doing uh, 100000 each. Nice. Oh, okay, got it. So, Bill, give us some uh, give us some tidbits. Give us some, you know, bait the hook here. I want to I hear, hear some of your, of your magic. Some of the stuff that's in the book? Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about, I mean, you don't have to give away the book, obviously. You don't want pe- people to, to buy it. I want to buy it, but, um, you know. I already sent you a copy, Peter. It's in the mail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Be looking. Craig, right. you got one coming too. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Have their perks, Craig. You see that? I'm sure. I'm sure you can do more than 10, but that's just the title of the book. All right. I've had a few dentists say, that'll bring me down if I only did 10 a day oh, wow, and I, wow. I go you know it's the principles that we're teaching so it's good for the five thousand dollar day dentist too oh yeah for sure i call it the big five if you if you look at the whole ball game of what we're trying to teach i broke down all of dentistry into five things mindset your mm-hmm. team your facility the marketing and your capacity and so it's the dentist capacity that's the last thing that you develop to become you know, an excellent dentist, but you can't even start off without mindset. And so the mindset is the belief systems you have and the paradigms you operate under. And so I, I studied under Omar Reed mm-hmm. and Abram King, and we were trained in uh, uh, scarcity versus abundance. Mm-hmm. And we were trained in possibility thinking. And uh, I remember going to Ron McConnell and his uh, quest program back in the eighties and they, they handed out a book in that class and said, read this one. This is the first book you read if you're going to be a dentist, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And so I always have found that books were uh, essential to my growth. And, uh, and I got things like The Obvious Secret from Earl Estep, mm-hmm. you know, Earl's Pearls. And so I just started putting together these ideas about how dental, dental practice ought to be. 
and eventually I, I came up with a system that worked for me. And uh, I started from scratch and built it up. And, you know, marketing was a big part of it when I moved to Swanee. I was, I was trained already, so I already had the mindset and I had the uh, c- capability, the capacity, but I didn't have the marketing and I didn't have the facility. And I didn't have a team. I had a small team, but, but we built on those things. So the book talks about 10 things under mindset, 10 things under each of the other, the team, the facility, marketing, and capacity. And as we break it down into what those things are, a dentist can actually uh, apply something in each of these things, these areas that will impact their team to grow. The practice will multiply itself by doing a few things. Um, Like I have a couple of group practices with three or four dentists in them that have implemented some of the programs that we talked and they've grown like half a million a year or a million in two years. Wow. So, so there's been some good successes. Can we, can you get into kind of some of the methodology or, or is that like, can you give us some, some real life examples of kind of what transpired with some of those just so we can, so we can apply some of this to our audience. I'm sure it'll resonate with some of the people, people out there listening. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we, we talked about on one of the, recommendations for some of the dentists. Uh, I talked about converting, the ability to convert. Yeah. I've always been good at converting. And I always thought, well, if I do, do one in the- Just to be clear, you're, you're actually talking about converting in from a proposed treatment into actual treatment, right? Right. And I'm okay. talking about doing it today. Right. Not, not the consultation technique or the sales technique. Like a same day um, dentistry kind of thing or actually same, enrolling today? Okay. Yeah. Same day dentistry enrolling today. Okay. Uh, it's, it's basically moving people up the ladder. They already have the diagnosis and they just haven't committed to do it. Maybe they are a new patient and they're trying to decide if they're going to do it today. Or you're deciding really more often whether you want to do it today. A lot of dentists stop and say, I don't know if I can do that today. You know, they, they look at lunch as a barrier or they look <laughs> at rooms as a barrier or the staff as a barrier. And so, course finances is usually the only barrier so we we talked about the four or five ways to overcome the uh, objection that paper patients have and of course many people don't realize it but the the dentist mindset is a barrier for a lot of associate dentists i've had 18 associates over 40 years mm-hmm. and i know that a lot of the dentists out there cannot imagine themselves doing a certain amount of dentistry or extending themselves beyond a certain point. And so, you know, you got to attack the mindset first of the dentist. Then you got to surround yourself with a team whose mindset is equal to yours right. and they don't block you. And so one of the things I talk about in my book is, is a dentist named Jack and Jack is a local dentist who doesn't have a good mindset. He's kind of closed. He's kind of a loner. He doesn't get out much and he just does things the way that we've always done them. We call it in the dental school thinking. And so I teach Jack about conversions in the book and how he can just get the staff to do the converting since he's so um, introverted. Mm-hmm. And you just turn your staff on to be the thing you're not. And that's one of the reasons that I got Jack turned around and he got to be a producer because he let other people do that particular job. I think that's, that's awesome. And that kind of that, you know, one of my big things is, is self-awareness, you know, and I think, if, if you can talk to someone and, and get them self-aware of the fact that they're not very good at in converting or enrolling, but the team is, you know, they may be good at diagnosis, but they need to sometimes, sometimes we need to get out of our team's way. And I think that's super important because 
uh, you know, their conversion rates might be way higher than us. And that's not, that's not a chink in our armor, so to speak, but we need to identify the self-awareness comes from identifying our strengths and weaknesses and getting out of the way of people, like you said, who can support you and, and uh, prop you up in areas you not, might not be so strong. Exactly. Another thing I did was I, t- I talked about the ideal number of team members per dentist staffing. Okay. You know, you know, you, you find a lot of dentists out there. They're very understaffed. They don't have enough people on their team to rock the boat. Uh-huh. They barely can survive and just paddle through the murky water because because they've only under, got a few people under teamed there. Yeah. And yeah. so as I consult with people, I try to, I've got a, a couple of dentists. Here we go with the train. Nice. I love it. It adds yeah, to the ambiance of the podcast. I love it. All right. So I've got a couple of dentists that I've uh, been mentoring lately who have two dental assistants for two dentists. Total. Okay. Wait, I mean, this, one, so one for one then, right? Yeah. Right. They have, they have two men office and two dental assistants in the office. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Well, I mean, if they're, if they're doing a combined revenue of $200,000 a year, they're actually adequately staffed. Because I know in dentistry, we look at um, staffing uh, as a function of overhead. A P&L so that, statement. That, right? There's that. I, I don't know, Bill, if you subscribe to that um, statistic of a certain percentage should be allocated towards staff, or is it more of a functional staffing for you? No, you I go for the team that you want. Right, Dick, or do you build for the practice you want and just keep going, going, going to you know set up? The well, practice. you're exactly right on that, Craig. The, the the dollars they're doing is very low for two dentists, and it's because they have few staff. I think it's because they have few staff. They say it's because they don't have enough new patients. But I think if you know, I believe you can create new patients, and I believe you can market yourself to success. But if you don't have enough staff to tr- handle them. Here's a statistic that I came up with. I was doing something for the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce once, and uh, I was on a panel to evaluate businesses for the um, Small Business Person of the Year Awards, the Pinnacle Awards. Mm-hmm. And, and they were looking at all these different businesses, and one of them was a dental office. And so the, those guys were up for an award, and I had won it the year before. That's why I was on the panel. And, and, and they were looking at the number of um, employees per uh, dollars of production and it was I knew my numbers and so I was looking at this number of this practice and so this kind of made me start looking but a hundred thousand dollars per employee per year is the number that they were operating under they were winning an award for dental practice and I thought that wasn't very high what do you think it should be well we won the award the year before with about two hundred fifty thousand per employee. Two fifty a year per employee. Well, I right? think I think two fifty a year is is a pretty high number. I mm-hmm. think two hundred is a great number. I think one fifty is an average successful practice. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. So you know, if you look at your number of employees and you measure that out, mm-hmm. uh, some of the better practices out there are going to hit around a quarter million per employee. Okay, but, but it's it's a little hard that, to do. And that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the higher the better, right? Because that that d- diminishes the amount on the PNL, like we were just referring to. But then, if you get, you know, then there's also bumping up against the other side of that, which would be a bandwidth issue, right? Not having the capacity to handle what's coming next. 
but you know, there's a whole lot going into that, obviously efficiency. And there's a whole lot going into that statement right there. Well, but, well, if, if you want to compare us to other industries, you got Apple at 1.8 million per employee <laughs> and uh, Microsoft $730,000 per employee, Amazon uh, $500,000. Yeah, per but that's market cap. Like you can't, but, but average Service statistically industry. speaking is about $200,000 across all industries is really? $200,000 per employee across. All that's industries. a health. That's the healthy metric of employees. Yeah. Per, per okay. I've literally had seasoned business people come in my practice and be like, how many employees you got? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh, you do about blank a year. I'm like, how did you know? He's like, I could tell me your culture. And he was within like 10%. He just nailed it. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but so he just did the simple exactly. math of employees times revenue then, huh? But I guess you could feel if you're if you have a good culture and you have good organizational structure and it feels like it's sufficient, then you could probably guess because we all have that intuition how, how a business is doing. doing Interesting way of looking at it. I'm doing the math in my head for my own gig. Um all right. So that's <laughs> let's go through that exercise. Let's not go through that exercise. <laughs> it might it sometimes, you know. It's not to expose well, it, me, pal. It, it exposes some weaknesses and some strengths when you start looking at KPI. So we based a lot of our uh, growth on KPI evaluations. Yeah. And I, I was really good at uh, looking at KPI because I studied with uh, Action Coaching and uh, Brad Sugars out of Australia. And, and it really taught me to look at numbers in a different way. Something uh -huh. that wasn't about dentistry. Action Coaching is, of course, one of the world's largest uh, organizations for coaching. Um, but it's not about dentistry. It's just business. Yeah, but uh, dentistry is a business. So, you it know, is a business. It's very important. Peter's taught me a lot about numbers, actually. I, I actually resonate with what you said about the psychology and the mindset behind what you wanted to do. I'm a big believer in that. It's almost like left brain, right brain. You, what gets you to your size and what gets you to have that vision also can sometimes get in the way of the execution because vision is uh, – you have nothing, you know, you had an idea, you said, I'm going to build this practice, I'm going to do four or 5 million, and you're sitting there with three, you know, three employees. So at a certain point, vision takes you where you need to go. But at a certain point, you have to switch over to the realistic operation, tactical uh, mind frame to keep it successful. There's a saying, it says, what got you here won't get you there. So uh, I'm, it's funny, Peter and I have very complementary skill sets. I'm, I'm a vision guy, I don't like to talk about the process. And uh, Peter's a rare breed of vision and executor. So he's, uh, he's, he can operate and, and okay. have that vision space. But uh, how many, you, you said something interesting. And I, I want to make sure I heard you correctly, Bill. You said you had how many associates over time? I thought you said 18. Is that correct? 18. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And you well, have four now. So that means 14 failed, right? They all fail. <laughs> yeah. The thing I teach people is that associates are great to have, but they never stay. And you just have to have the mindset that they will not stay. And if they I stay, I haven't adopted that mindset yet. I really have a feeling that mine are going to stick around. But I'd love to talk about that. But he's got long. more. He's got. Bill's got obviously a lot more runway than we have in our careers. So well, maybe, I've got no, eight I know. years. That's what, I, that's what I want to hear about it. I want yeah. to hear about it. I've got people that stayed eight years. You okay. know, ten ten years. But there's a time where something comes up, and um, a lot of them get pregnant. A lot of them. Wives get pregnant, want to move home. Mm -hmm. A lot of them's uh, mindset changes and they become less interested in quality. I have to let some go because the quality shifts. So it's not all they leave on their own. Sometimes I have to push them out. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes uh, it's just not a good fit and they know it, we know it, and they, they leave pretty quick. Uh -huh. So your so, longest one was how long? 10 years? 10 years. 
Okay, can we all agree though, if you could, in theory, keep an associate for 20 years, that that would be a remarkably great uh, business opportunity and a great relationship, it would feel really good. I mean, can, can we all agree that if you had someone really good and they stayed, that would be a really good thing for the practice? Which, what, no? we, it's what we always wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, Agreed. So I just wanted to make sure we're all in agreement. And on. I think 10 years is still a success. Yeah, it ended, but like that's still a success. That's not like a lot of good things happened in that 10 years that was a you good bet. success. You know what I mean? So yeah, this, yeah, that one particular guy took the place of two that left because of pregnancy. That's awesome. And he came in and did their production himself the first year he came in. That's wow. and, then, and then he stayed 10 years and then he, uh, you know, he was doing – he was taking home 400000 himself out of our practice as an associate. That's awesome. He was doing very well. Yeah, I got guys in my practice doing double that. Sometimes, double that? Yeah. Well, take home, yeah. Yep. That's not a bad practice. No, you want a job, Bill? No, Come on Craig down. Just, no, Craig just pays him at 75% commission. That's all. <laughs> no, I do not. Don't get me. So the people that I know listen to this. So let's let's. Uh, I'm just not do that. Well, I'll let that out. Sorry. But but. In all actuality, though, funny story. My dad. Um, this is going back uh, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, when I took over the practice. Actually, it was eight years ago. My dad said, "Listen, you know, rather than purchase the practice, why don't you give me seventy five percent of my collections? Because I'm only going to work for two or three more years." And that way, you'll essentially pay me for the practice. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. Meanwhile, eight years later, I'm like, Dad, you're supposed to retire. Uh, He's we, a smart cookie. Yeah, he was smart. He was smart. It was a, it was a back-end deal. I liked, I liked how he rolled with it. But uh, uh, it's all <laughs> yeah. good. But, yeah. but I, let, that, was that was by design there, pal. I know. If you don't mind, I'd love to talk because Peter's got um, some really cool ideas on how to make people stay because I think that's, a, that's an important thing that we can all agree upon. If we could, if we could increase um, the ability to have our associates stay or even make them partners, what's your spin on that, Bill? Why didn't you take partners over time? Did you take partners? I invited a few to take partnership and most of them uh, wanted control. And I wasn't willing to give up control. So it didn't work out early on when we were both young. Hmm. Later on in the, in the time, um, I, didn't, I didn't offer partnerships after I moved to Swanee and grew it real big. I did invite people to buy the practice. And, like uh, the, whole, they, the whole practice? The whole practice. Okay. But uh, I didn't. So, no, I haven't really had any partners ever. I think if you want to – Keep associates, though, there's two or three things that you really need to do in this environment. You, you, you almost have to get an associate. You have to pay a finder's fee, mm-hmm. that type yeah, of thing. Like a headhunter. A headhunter thing because everybody's getting them. Yep. If you want to keep them, I think you've got to educate them. And you've got to pay them a, a salary plus a bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them are going to work on a percentage with a guarantee of a minimum. And um, if you have – benefits that, that they like i think they'll probably consider staying the benefits are what will keep a lot of them and i also would add to that like you know the, the the culture and the and the team that you created like adding you know that if that resonates with them and the vision if they're tied into the vision of, of where you're headed in the practice like all those things like everyone wants to be successful you know everyone wants to wanted to go to the lakers when they were winning all the you know they were, they were winning everything right so everyone wants to be on a winning team so to speak yeah, I really have to say that it's easy to attract people to a great practice. I mean, we've not had trouble getting associates because we have this cone beam, we've got the uh, K7, we've got 
things that people want in their practice. Right. They want to use it. They want to, they want the toys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm a toy guy. I love them. Yeah. Most, most dentists, most dentists love toy toys. The dental, dental show convention floor toys. That's for sure. Peter's, Peter's done a good job in partnering people in. And I, I just think, you know, maybe this is a subject for another, another podcast, but I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways to have people stay in your practice long-term. And if you're, you know, also listen, you want an associate to act like an owner. You want them to take pride in their work and take care of their patients and you want them to be invested. But it's, I think it's a little unfair that we expect ownership, but we don't offer ownership. Right. So um, I know the control thing's a big deal because a a partnership is kind of like a prenup. It's all written about the dissolution, you know, so nothing, nothing ruins the sexy in a marriage like a prenup. I mean, I've, I've, so what you're saying, Craig, and I agree with you, but like, I'm fully believe the reason I like the partnership idea is because, you know, a thoroughbred is going to want some, you know, a stud is going to want to have a piece of the pie and a piece of the kingdom. And so if you don't yeah. offer that, like they're going to go do it themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't fault them for that. I mean, I did that when, you know, it, it, early on in my career. So, you know, I think that to have a talent, you have to offer a, a benefits. And if you want, you want the top dentist, then you're going to have to say, all right, well, you know, if you want to buy into what we've created and let's do it, you know, let's be better together Then, you know, that's my methodology. And, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to keep it all myself. And so I think that's what you're, where you're going, right? Craig? Yeah, I am. But, but let's talk, the control thing's important too, I think. Bill, I'd like, uh, so what was the issue? The issue was at the time you were doing, like, let's say, how much were you doing when the partnership conversations were going as a gross? What Probably about five and a half million. Okay. So you had some guy that says, I want to pony up. I want 50, I want 50, 50. I'm going to pay you 2 million plus. Right. Right. And, and that broke apart. Yeah. They weren't willing to put the money up that would be required. That was their deal. I mean, they, they decided they couldn't afford it. They said, but I believe they could have. Yeah. I mean, that's what I say to people when I, when I don't want to make the decision, I can't afford it. (laughs) But, Peter, what what um what's your spin on that? What I wouldn't mind just uh just jump you know you jumping in on that. Like, how do you recommend a, a, you know for the listeners out there that ha- let's say have a, a practice like Bill's or even like mine, and they're trying to figure out they don't want to run into a situation where an associate's going to leave. Right. What okay. would you recommend? So first off, I'd identify that there needs to be like the money's the easy part, right, in the equation. So you need to make sure that number one, they're aligned with the vision of where you want to go. And number two, that there's bringing a different skill set to the table that you're not, that, that's complementary to where you're weak. You know, going back to what we were talking about with Bill the, saying, yeah. the conversion, you want to find someone that you're the yin and the yang, or, or, you know, at least a part of your yang or whatever, right? So find someone who, who's going to be complementary and synergistic with the growth of the practice, not just, hey, I want some money. Like that's the worst motive. Yeah. Someone is because you want to do an equity conversion. That's the terrible idea. Like money should be actually the third thing you think of. And so because of that, you know, I've got a bunch of studs in my, in my practice and, you know, and I fully expect them to want to, to want to buy in. And honestly, if they didn't, I'd be kind of disappointed. Like, why, why don't you want to buy my, you know, amazing practice that I'm super proud of, you know, it's that, so that it's, I guess, Craig, it's just people coming at it from different places, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I, I think that if we expect them to act like owners and treat the practice like it's their own, we have to consider some form of partnership arrangement. I mean, people don't wash their rental car and long-term value for your practice will be really eroded by transition. I mean, 
10 years is probably great, but it just, I, I would love to um, explore that. Maybe Peter will have another we'll like have round two. Yeah. We'll have a round two about that. I want to get, I want to get in some more pearls cause I want to get yeah, some of the book because I want to, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I want to know some more about this cause this is good stuff, Bill. Okay. Stuff. So what's a hot topic that you're interested in? I'll see if Alex, the guru knows anything. You know, I got a question for you. Would you, so you're obviously a marketing guru and, but you, but the, the era in which you marketed and grew your practice, the landscape, if you did that same methodology now, it would not work. Agreed? In Swanee? Well, I'm just saying as a general, as, as an evolution of our economy or, or marketing and more, gone more digital. Okay, let me rephrase that. Do you think it would work? Eight, the, way you, the way you marketed eight years ago, do you think it would work effectively today if I, were to, if I were to say, hey, Bill, you need to start up a practice. Would you do the same thing? You know, I, I started the practice on the verge of the internet when everybody was just finding out about the internet and I was yeah. one of the first ones in. Yeah. And I was a webmaster and, and I was building websites for other dentists. Yeah. So that wow. was your unique advantage. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. And so, so how would you, based on that, obviously you're very web versed. So how would you market differently today than you would have eight years ago? Well, I would major in social media and that's what we're doing right now is being a first class operation with the Facebook primarily. Okay. And we have uh, an interactive uh, website or one that's getting more interactive, I'd say. Um, things that I teach people to do are, are to be out front. You know, I, I wrote an a article based on some books I'd read before called The Seven Mountains of Marketing. Have you heard of that book? I have not. Have you so no. seven, mount, seven Mountain Strategy is really not about dentistry, but it's a, I tailored my, my articles to that particular concept. And it's make yourself the most influential dentist in seven different spheres. And so the spheres encompass all of life and you become the go-to dentist in those spheres. And so that's been my marketing strategy in Swanee. And so I became the number one dentist in the, in the governmental area. And so I was friends with the mayor. I was working in the campaigns. I was okay. helping people get elected. I was working with um, the chamber of commerce and business and I was going door to door meeting the business owners in town. I was working with the school system and I was the major donor to the school system. And so I got access to all the teachers. And then I was, yeah. you know, I just go down the line and seven different mountains. You, know, you had a ground game, like you had a strong ground game and that's just yeah. all there is to it. And, and, you know, so you did kind of guerrilla marketing literally door to door. And then, but you also use scalable stuff, like obviously being the webmaster and website and all that stuff. So, yeah, I still think, and I still think there's value obviously in that. Craig, Craig, you, that's probably been a lot of your success is that you're, you're Mr. Delray Beach for sure. You're, you, you might be the mayor one day. God, no. I, I know what they know that. But yeah, we have a very funny. Yeah, I, went, I, went to biz, I went to visit Greg, Bill, and, and literally, like, we were on his golf cart riding around his, like, his vacation town that he gets to live in. And, like, we couldn't go more than five feet without, like, beep, beep, hi, doc. Like, hey, Craig. Know, everywhere he goes, shaking hands and kissing babies. I'm like, you're like a politician. That's right. You are. Well, you know what? You move to a town of 65,000 people, you could be one too. You live in Atlanta, uh, Peter. So it's a big, I'm a big fish in a small pond. Um, and also my family's been doing this for 41 years. So, uh, in dentistry, so you'll get it right eventually. But I, I did, that's so cool. You're a webmaster at the dawn of the internet revolution. That's amazing. Talk about, talk about sur surfing away. That was awesome. Yeah. Hey, do y'all know Chris Kammer? Yes. I don't. Yes, I totally know Chris. 
Okay, so I made Chris's website for marketing. So, you, you know, so I'm going to give you a little backstory on Chris, uh, Greg. He, I, the only thing I remember about his, so he was wild marketing, came up with these crazy ideas. Like he's a great guy, like has the best energy ever. And he, he I remember him promoting that he was going to prep a hundred veneers in a day. This is the only thing I remember. Do you remember that, Bill? Jeez. And it no. was like he was, he was recording it and all this stuff and he was going to do the hundred veneer day. And I think he actually, I think he actually succeeded. You know, obviously he didn't temporize and take him to completion. He had some people helping, but I remember this being like the thing and he promoted it around to his patients, you know, and it was like the town thing. And I was like, hmm, wow, this is just crazy. But he's got, he is, he is a thinker for sure. He is, he is a creative as they come. He is, awesome. he is. He's awesome. Yep. Awesome. So I cut you off, but yeah, I know. What were you about to say? The same Nothing. thing. <laughs> Craig, what were you saying? <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, it's just amazing that that wave that propelled you that to have that foresight. It's super cool. I love it. Now there was, there was a, a lot of energy we put into missions back in the nineties. I mean, in the, in the 2000 starting in 99 and 2000, we, I had a birthday party. And my brother was going to Africa to uh, work, and I had a, a vision to help him. And so I had a 50th birthday party in 2000, and we call it the halfway there party. Hmm. And, I, and I donated all my uh, birthday presents and things that I told people just to bring cash for the mission hmm. to him to build a hospital over in Kenya. And so from that one point, we started thinking about Kenya, and we started going on missions over there. The next year we went when they built the hospital clinic. And we went every year for 10 years. And uh, we would do a lot of presentations around town on the mission. We would uh, do PowerPoints and talk to different churches and church groups and, and uh, rotaries and Kiwanis. And so we became known as the missions dentist in, in our area. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's kind of how Peter first heard of me, I think. Yep. Very that's cool. Yeah, he was saying you're very active in philanthropy, and that's super cool. It's just a place that you can hold people really resonate with people who are generous and they, they, they go out of their way to support you. They're very loyal people. So we have a, a loyal following of people and it comes from us just being open about what we do and who we are. That's great. I kind of, I resonate with that as well. We, we do a lot of charity of a, of a non-for-profit. We were just talking I, about that this morning, Craig, Craig of, of much that's given or wait. What is your, what is the quote? Uh, it's a verse from the Bible, Luke, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah. And so that, um, yeah, that's, that's both, that's kind of where you're all going with this. And that's, that's cool, Bill. You, you know, you're right. I, I did know about you because of, you know, because you're kind of known for that. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm it's funny. If you were older, you would know me as the TMJ guy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I started, I started a TMJ residency in Atlanta. Man, oh, I, cool. know that. I would have sent you a bunch of patients in the eighties. Yeah. We were teaching, we were teaching all that stuff that LVI does uh -huh. and oh, all okay. that stuff that, um, cranial Academy does. Okay. That's what we were doing back in 79, 80, 81. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. I was three and you were doing TMJ stuff. I feel, I feel pretty humbled right now. You were doing TMJ when I was three. That's awesome. There you go. <laughs> mm, that's awesome. It really is cool. Uh, so, Bill, we've we've learned a lot about, you know, obviously the the genesis of kind of you know going from where you were to where you are now, and 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 you consult, is that right? I do. Okay. And so, is is some of what you've learned in 
this is probably a dumb question, but is some of what you've learned more from your practice or from what you've learned from your, from clients and teaching and kind of, so is what is your book about that? Is it more of your, your journey or, or teaching others and learning from their journey? And fixing- uh, the book, the book is my journey totally. And um, it's, it teaches what I do. Okay. Okay. So whatever that means is how I do every day what I do. And it's got systems in there, and I, I believe highly in systems. Mm-hmm. But when I when I coach, it's basically through the mastermind process. Okay. And so I, I've been part of a Coach Blueprint Mastermind training with uh, people like guys you know, David Phelps and yeah. Brett Judd. Yeah. And uh, we were in classes f- for years together. We learned to coach people through that process. And what we learned, one of them was the hot seat. We, and uh, we we bring Dennis D in nine at a time in a mastermind session at our house. Mm-hmm. And we go around and talk. And one time they get to sit in the hot seat, which everybody looks at them and they explain their practice. Uh-huh. And then we kind of dig deeper. Everybody asks questions. And then we do a prescription on the board. We write it down. And that prescription, they go back and implement if they want to, of course. And they always come back the next uh, 100, 100 days when we do the next session, we do three sessions with the mastermind group. And they come back and they have created some dramatic results. You and then we why. pick them apart again and do it for the next time. Yeah. And so the, the mastermind is powerful. Because of accountability right there, right? You write shit down and all in front of a bunch yep. of, group of people is like, I better perform on this or else I'm going to get my ass chewed or just yep. be embarrassed. So that accountability thing is, is, is huge. Um, yeah. yeah it, I'd like it's to, a growth vehicle. Like witness to something like that, seeing something, you know, the, the, the mastermind and the directive and the diagnosis of all, you know, the practice, I think that's pretty cool in a supportive environment. I think that's awesome. You're seeing nine people go through it. So it's not just your stuff. And what I found was that people don't hear as well when it's their stuff. Mm-hmm. We, but we write it down and tape it for them so they could take it home and re-listen to it because yeah, they're feeling better, sweat. Hey, here's what you should do, right? Here's, we're yeah. really good at doing that, but oh, wait, me? No, I'm good. When they hear other people get their cross-examination, they learn better because they're seeing it over and over again, and, and it's really some of the same stories applied to the same situations in every right. practice. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got group practices. we got solo guys. We've got associates, mostly as owners, but we've had some associates come and be in our mastermind. Cool. Bill, is there, anything, is there anything that you want to touch on that we have? I mean, anything that, you know, you, you want to discuss on our podcast that, you know, we're open to discussing, but I, I want everyone to be encouraged to, to get your book. So obviously I'm not going to ask you to, to give more pearls from your book. Cause I think, you know, you spend oh. a lot of time developing it. Everyone should support you in kind of getting a copy. Is there anything you want to kind of just go over that we hadn't touched on today? Well, you've done a good job of touching all the basics of what I what I believe is important. Um, the mastermind I'm putting together is um, January the 12th, 13th of 2018, and it's got four seats left. So once oh, I feel, awesome. where is once that? I f- where? Uh-huh. In Atlanta. Okay. My house. My oh, house nice. in Swanee. Nice. So if I fill that one up, I'll put another one together. So it's not like it's the end of the world, but four seats is all that's left right now. Where's uh, Where could someone find out more on that? Uh, Swan, not Swanee, uh, com slash mastermind. Okay. Right. Mastermind we'll, in we'll small caps, in small letters. Check it out. But you can, um, 
you can find out about it. Um, if you have the book, the $10,000 a day dentist, there's a resource in the back that tells how to get to the important stuff. Okay. How long is the seminar? How many? How thick is your book, by the way? It looks, it looks like a, my kind of book, like a bullet. Okay. I like oh, it. It's, it's yeah. a small book. I mean, it's 160 pages. I like it. I can read that. <laughs> my ADD yeah. can, can read that. I've had people say they read it in just an afternoon. Really? Yeah. It'll take me longer than that. But. <laughs> hey, Bill, how many days is the seminar? You're talking about the mastermind? mastermind? Yeah, the mastermind. Sorry. Two days over a year, it's uh, three visits, so it's six days total. Okay, got it. Yeah, I like that. I think that's, I think, honestly, I think masterminds are a great thing for dentistry as a whole, especially because it, it tends to be a very lonely profession or can be a lonely profession. And I think getting in a supportive group of someone, like I said, who can, can help you feel like you're not alone and they share kind of some of the same issues and then to help, help co-diagnose, if you will, some of the issues like, and then hold you accountable like... It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, I've got, I've got to tell you about Kevin from New York. He's exactly that guy. He practices in a small town, Malone, New York, away from everybody up near the Canadian border. And he came back to my mastermind for the second year in a row with the same curriculum. He said, I just wanted to come back and be with you guys because I get a charge out of being around a group of high-minded people. And, uh, of course, he's the one who was doing $10,000 every day. Yeah, I, say, I bet he's next level, though, too, you know, now. So that's awesome. He is. He's yeah. super, you know, he's a Notre Dame graduate. He's a very intelligent dentist, but he was stuck out by himself and he didn't have anybody to talk to that was on his level. That's so cool. I, I, there's a quote I love. It says you're a product of the five people you spend the most amount of time uh, with. So if you have an opportunity to, uh, to be with other successful like-minded people, it's going to rub off. Success leaves clues. And I've learned a lot from my successful friends and it's kind of lonely in dentistry. It's, it's hard to, to, to reach out and have a peer group. So I love masterminds. I always learn a lot with them as well. One of my main masterminds that I was a part of, and I've been in about seven of them, was an international group of Americans and Canadians. And we met together every six months for 10 years. And that was a group of, we formed it ourselves. And I, and I, and I create more of my benefit, you know, I give credit for more of my benefits that I've gained from that one group than any group I've been a part of. Hmm. Really? And it's all dentist. It would just disparate from all over the country, getting together, sharing. Because you're not going to share with people that are next door. Yeah. You know, or yeah. or on online forums, too, because everyone gets, you know, is super, super vulnerable of being like, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and it's going to make me look like I'm weak or not good or I'm going to share this secret. But yeah, in a in a in a trust group, so to speak, you're you're a lot more willing to receive and give as it goes. Yeah, yeah and I think something about you can do all these chat rooms and podcasts, but there's something very human and very real about getting to know people and sitting down with them. It's really dynamic and much more important. I think that we're we're thinking that we can escape um, the human connection and that we can do it all virtually, but there's something very uh, magical that happens when a, a group of people are, yeah, are together. Whether that's mastermind or even study clubs. That's yeah, it's cool. That's cool. So, you know, we have a lot of younger listeners and, and, um, so Bill, what would be some advice? I think, I think that's some advice right there. If you're, if you're not meeting and, and, and in a community of trusted people, then you, then you should seek that as a young dentist. What would be some advice that you could give in, you know, looking back on your, long career, what would be some words of wisdom that you could tell Dr. Williams, 25 year old dentist? I don't know when you became a dentist, but what would you tell yourself at 25? 
Okay, when I was a young dentist, I thought the guys next door to me that were in my study club were very intelligent and smart and advanced, and they'd been in dentistry five years. Yeah. See, I mm -hmm. thought they were really smart. And then 10 years passed, and I looked at them, and I go, they're still smart. Mm -hmm. But there was something happened between 10 and 15 years. I realized they weren't that smart. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they were average because I kept growing and they didn't. And so the thing to realize as a young dentist is that you only become excellent and, and really astute with age. There is mm -hmm. going to be a shift in you at about the 10 or 15 year mark, somewhere in there, that you're going to change into a whole different dynamic of a dentist. Your abilities will triple by the time you go from 10 to 20 years. And I think that's around the 10,000 hour mark. You know, we talk about that, the outliers from Malcolm Gladwell. And it's, you know, it's kind of when anything, anytime you hit in your craft, that 10,000 hour point of, of doing it, you become a master. And, you know, so everything kind of scales from there, your confidence and your just everything. Right. And, and, you know, he talks about that a lot and other industries reference that as being the case. And, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think that's probably around the, in dentistry depends on, on how much you're doing, but I think that's probably around just like you're saying, Bill, that in that 10 to 15 year mark of, of, um, of practicing. And, and, and the question that I always raise is how can you shorten that time period? And one of the things I found was you can choose your mentors wisely mm -hmm. and those people will accelerate you in the area that you choose to work. And so I, I hung around Carl Misch or I hung around, uh, Harold Gelb, or I hung around Barney Jankelson. Mm -hmm. And so those guys propel me in those areas, the, yeah. their expertise. The shoulder, shoulders of giants. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then in 2008, I hung around J. Conrad Levinson. Mm -hmm. And he was the father of guerrilla marketing. Mm -hmm. And so each of the things that you do will propel you beyond your average certainly the peers that we operate next door in dentistry. Now, did, they, did they act in a mentorship capacity to you or did, they, did you just kind of like just soak it in kind of like being around someone in that osmosis? And that really is a legit thing. Like you kind of hang around someone and all of a sudden you become more like them or, or you combinations. Them. Yeah. I mean, I had mentors that were strictly mentors and some that were just hung around them so much. Like for Omar Reed, I went to his place five times in 1989. Okay. And hung out with him all the time talk about a legend that guy's he's amazing he's yeah omer's anyone yeah i just pattern everything i do after omer if you talk about teaching that's yeah. what i'm doing and i love what he did and i still admire what he's done man he's hey guys so sorry about this but who who are we talking about i don't know omer, who this is omer reed, omer reed is out in, in arizona Phoenix. omar or omer 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 yeah he's the granddaddy guru of all dental uh, uh coaches yeah, uh okay sure. got it yeah yeah okay um human for sure well yeah. um well bill it's been literally an honor honor to talk to you today it's been an honor thank you, you. Know, just from what you've done you know from dentistry i thank you from the bottom of my heart you've been just a great asset and, and great someone to watch from afar and, and the contributions you make to our community and our profession have been you know just amazing so i thank you for all you've done and, and your time today and um like I said, every, I encourage everyone who's listening to, you know, look at, look at the book on Amazon and check it out that he's got going on and we'll put a link in our show notes. And, um, I look forward to receiving my, my complimentary copy. Yeah, me you too. It. Well, there's, there's a torch to carry and there's a torch to pass on. And so, um, I feel like Omer passed the torch to me 
and I feel like um, other giants passed it to me, and I'm and I'm trying to pass it on to other dentists before we stop practicing. We've got to pass yep. them on. Yep, yep. for sure. You I hear that. Yeah. Well, thank right, you guys, you Craig and Peter. Thanks for letting me be on the Bulletproof Practice uh, Podcast. Wonderful. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. Thank yeah. you. Our pleasure. Take care. Good night. All right. Good night. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.